This is the DLR Cast, the essential podcast for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. What's happening, folks? Once again, you've got the DLR Cast, the only podcast that we know of by and for fans of David Lee Roth. I'm Steve. No problems now. The coast is clear. It's just the calm before the storm, as always, with my friend Diamond, Darren Palchowitz. What's happening, Darren? How are you? DDP. I'm not the only DDP because it's already Diamond Dallas Page, but I'll take it. I'm good. Are you good? I'm good, my friend. Talking to you and doing this podcast uh, means things are going just uh, just fine. It keeps you young (laughs) and healthy. (laughs) I could always use that. So. Yeah, it's it's great to be doing another episode. Uh, this is this is not the last episode or the second to last episode. Am I right? Absolutely. No, I've, I've, you, let's <laughs> let's you're telling me something. I don't know. I, so I'm assuming we're still going with this. I'm having a hell of a lot of fun and we're, we and we really do appreciate everybody downloading and streaming. It's growing every week. And we it's this has been just like I said, a lot of fun. Exactly. We got more in the can. That's for sure. We may have my 2003 or 2004 interview with David Lee Roth, which I never put out before. We may have that exclusive to this podcast, but only if we hit uh, 75,000 uh, subscribers uh, <laughs> by the end of next week. Otherwise, we're not getting it here. I, I think we'll have to take a cue from like TV and make that a, quote, very special episode. And, you know, maybe we can maybe we can do it at our 50th episode. We're still about halfway. We're about halfway there. So uh, Sounds good know, to me. we can save it or maybe the 30th. I don't know. Your call. But it, coming up next, a very special episode of the DLR cast. <laughs> Dudley in the bike shop. Yes. <laughs> in a world where two guys wanted to do a podcast about David Lee Roth. <laughs> exactly. But. Hey, thanks for tuning in to another great episode. I, I'm going to cue you up Howard Stern style. Uh, what what do we have, Steve? Well, we have got another great interview from you, my friend, this time with a super cool musician, uh, songwriter, guitar player, pop rock, power pop guy, Johnny Polanski. Yeah, Johnny Polanski was somebody I discovered in the mid-90s because when you used to go to Tower Records, he was just on the listening stations all the time and in the catalog and all that. And the album was... If I remember correctly, executive produced by Rick Rubin, who signed him, produced by Frank Black. Uh, he, he was this phenom who played every note and sang every note on the album, a, a one man band. Kind yeah. Cool to be one. Yeah, I I have his very first record, and I if I remember, it came out mid '90s, right? I mean, that would '96, I think it was. Yeah, and I love that record, and did it all himself. It was kind of like a teenage Todd Rundgren almost. Exactly. And that's not where it ended. He did plenty more to say the least. There have been more albums and all that. I've been following him through these years. And he's also been a sideman for a lot of other artists because he's a very capable player on multiple interests, uh, multiple instruments to say the least. His relationship with Rick Rubin picked up again in the 2000s. So he played on a Neil Diamond album. He's played on some really cool stuff that Johnny Polanski. Well, he's been certainly busy uh, during the pandemic and during lockdown. He's got an album that came out recently called Power and Greed and Money and Sex and Death, written and recorded during lockdown 2020. Yes, this conversation happened during lockdown. You might say, well, did Johnny play on a Van Halen album? No. Did Johnny hang out with Van Halen? No. But it's one of those things where he was influenced by Van Halen, which we talk about. He knows his DLR 
And Rick Rubin, who's been an instrumental part of Johnny's career, is a friend of Roth. So we got a story there as well. I think it's one of those cool things where even as Dave was not having the top 40 hits anymore, per se, he was inspiring the next generation of songwriters in different genres, including Johnny. I dig it. I dig it. Yeah, very cool. And a great conversation you guys had. And and I would encourage anybody, if you dig really cool rock with great with really good hooks and just uh, great musicianship, I mean, all his stuff is 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 great. I cannot deny that the the song that got me hooked again on Johnny in the early 2000s is called Even the Oxen. I'm not sure if that one is on Spotify at the moment. It's a pre-Spotify release, something like 02, 03. But the key is he means a lot to a lot of people. There's a great documentary about him that came out this year about a, a tour that he did of Belgium, of all places. A Belgian celebrity said, hey, it's my dream to bring over my favorite artist, Johnny Polanski, to play here in Belgium. And it's got some uh, Anvil documentary like tendencies to it i'll put it to you that way even though it's totally real and not scripted which i suspect the anvil documentary partially is hot take (laughs) i dig it i will tell you this too uh go to you if go to youtube if you really want to check out some interesting thing there's a bunch of different videos for for songs for the last uh, for his current record power and greed and money and sex and death and they are super they're very cool they're a lot of fun yeah and another thing that's really notable about johnny in my opinion is he doesn't name drop unless you propped him to name drop if you were to go through his rolodex of who he's friends with and who he's worked with and all that it goes even deeper than what I've said or what I brought up in the interview. Just a very modest guy besides being really funny and really nice. And I believe he's putting out most of his discography on vinyl this year. So if you're a vinyl person, not a streaming guy, just uh, click on over on the interwebs to Johnny Polanski's Bandcamp. And there you go. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, more to come. I, I'm pretty damn sure. Excellent. Take care, folks. One thing I have no idea, because you said the Scorpions before. I love the Scorpions. I find that even the most serious singer-songwriter has a a soft part in their heart for the Scorpions. Mike Doty, who I know you're also friends with, big Scorpions fan, but no one would ever know that. So if you like the Scorpions, that means you probably like Van Halen. Oh, Uh, yeah. Where in your musical evolution did it all start? Did it go from Kiss... Uh, to Van Halen and Motley Crue. Was that the beginning of it all? I never got into Kiss. I mean, I like Kiss, but, um, and I love Motley Crue. But Van Halen, I was born in 73, so I've never known a world without Van Halen. Um, my first recollection is watching MTV. We got it pretty early, I think like around 82 or something. So I was like eight or nine, and I remember seeing the Unchained video. I think it's from their 81 tour, right? Oakland 81, yeah. Yeah, and it was just like, there's something about it. Like, I I liked the song a lot, but it kind of scared me. And the video was so cool. Cause like, like you know, like, wow. Like, you know, the, it's so intense, like that, that stage and all those speakers. But the band also, there's something kind of dark and like slightly sinister about it to me. You know, as an eight-year-old or whatever, you know, just looking at 
I think Alex has the gong and, you know, sure. it's just like, whoa, it's just intimidating. And then um, all I can remember is really being aware of them for 1984 because I'd already started playing guitar by then. So holy shit, when, when Hot for Teacher came out, it was just the most thrilling thing. And to be honest, it still is. Like, I don't know why, but like that, it's just, you know, I don't even think it's their best record necessarily, but the songs on there are definitely, the, the, I think the strongest. I don't, I don't even mean the best, but there's just like something about, you know, you can hear like, like the full bug or all these different tunes that, that kind of, they're playing the same grooves, you know, but then they finally on, on 1984, like they're like, they really kind of crystallize everything. But I think as far as my favorite record, I think it's probably um, Fair Warning and Women and Children after that. But anyway, so 1984, I mean, that intro to Hot for Teachers is just so incredible. And I learned how to play it for the most part when I was 10, just I went to this guitar store and got the tablature. Cause I kind of knew how it went in my head, but like, you know, I'm still, I still play it. It's just like, ooh, like, you know, it's just like, it's, there's something about that band that's just so timeless and incredible. And um, I don't know. I don't think Alex gets nearly enough recognition either. He's such an incredible drummer. It's sort of like the, the Jimi Hendrix, Mitch Mitchell syndrome. <laughs> Mitch, Mitch, I think Mitch Mitchell is one of the greatest drummers of all time. Just so brilliant. But nobody ever talks about him unless they're like a drummer, really. They, drummers know. And drummers know how incredible Alex is. But Alex gets overshadowed by Eddie. Um, plus, I mean, Alex, like the whole image with the, the mirrored aviators and he's so cool. And like, you know, he's almost it's just something like really remote. And, you know, I, I love that. But like, it's also it doesn't, you know, sell magazines probably as well as like the big smile and, you know, whatever. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, Van Halen has always been a huge part of my musical diet and upbringing and just endlessly inspirational. They're one of the great joys of being alive on this planet. Anytime that I interview somebody, whether they're a performer, a producer, a songwriter, if they've been around 25 plus years, it seems like they nearly worked with Van Halen on something. Like for example, when I spoke with Butch Vig a couple of months ago, he said he was asked to produce the album that became A Different Kind of Truth and he declined. Uh, Desmond Child's thing, he said that Dave uh, Grohl and Taylor Hawkins talked him into it and then talked him out of it, saying that they'd be difficult. <laughs> oh, well. Whatever the story is there. Desmond Child, he told me a story about had, how Roth wanted to work with him. And then later on, he was at like with the Van Halens and Roth summoned, he was kind of like, go away, Desmond. So he didn't work with them. And then I heard uh, this guy used to play with Aerosmith on keyboards. For a little while, he almost joined Van Halen as like an extra player. Now, your Rick Rubin connection, I'm just assuming at some point you had to have met a member of Van Halen. I wish, man. I remember the first time I met Rick Rubin, though, I was 19 or 20. And we met at some fancy, one of them fancy uh, <laughs> restaurants somewhere in Uptown. And I remember telling him, like, I really, you know, I want to make records and I want to do it how I want to do it. And I, if I want to make a country record next, I want to make a country record and I want to produce artists that are, you know, are kind of down on their luck. Like I want to, you know, I want to make a, 
I want to produce like David Lee Roth or something. And it's like, oh, David's a friend. <laughs> it's like, cool. He knows David Lee Roth. But no, man, I, I, um, when I lived in LA, my kids, my son, especially when they were little, were totally obsessed with Van Halen. And, um, you know, Dave's house is kind of common knowledge and just on some corner, like in, on a main street. So we went out there once and just like stood outside and looked in or whatever. But like, no, man, I, I would have loved to met Eddie. He seemed so cool. Um, I don't know. Uh -uh, I, I didn't have anything to do with him. I wish. Well, going back to you and your lineage, did you follow from being a fan of 1984 into Roth's solo catalog or did you come back to it later on? No, I was paying attention at the time. I loved Just Gigolo and California Girls. Those were really fun. Like those are huge too, if you remember. Like it was, you know, Dave he was TV. still, yeah, Dave, Dave TV and um, yeah, he's a blast. Um, and you know, as the years went on, like I kind of dropped off after uh, I still really liked Skyscraper. I remember yep. listening to um, him on Rockline, and I love Steve Vai, and you know, and Eat and Smile, of course. But after Skyscraper, I just kind of dropped off, and like you know, you'd kind of I like DLR band, or whatever. Like you know, you'd hear things here and there, but like I don't know, kind of lost interest. But I mean, Dave, just as a cultural figure, is totally fascinating. Yes. And maybe that's the wrong phrase, cultural figure. But like, just as a, you know, he's just so, I just finished his autobiography for the first time. I'd never read it. Um, yeah, I'm sure he's a nightmare to work with. Like uh, any lead singer is crazy. Like if they're any good, you know, less so if they play Except an instrument. You, usually. of course. Well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> like when, you, when you're, I've never fronted a band, you know, other than just fucking around when you're not holding an instrument, but you have to have so much, it takes a lot of balls and it takes a lot of presence and like holding a guitar, you can just kind of stand there and, you know, whatever, look sort of cool, you know, but like to command a stage, especially the way he does, like he's just the ultimate. I mean, there's people that do it differently, but nobody does it better. Like he, there's just no one that will ever top David Lee Roth, you know, for what he does. Um, but uh, yeah, he's just really brilliant. And in, in uh, this sounds weird to say, but like, a, he, to me, he strikes me as being a really soulful, thoughtful person. Like mm -hmm. you wouldn't think of that because he's like such a ah, huckster, just like, you know, everything he says rhymes and you know what I mean? It's like, it, he's so endlessly entertaining but yeah i mean reading the book and just reading interviews like he's very pma and like you know it just he's he'll try anything like he's got tremendous courage and he'll just take risks you know in his personal life and doing you know, pursuing interests and i love that like he's super passionate and you know well it's cool one thing that i'm curious about because you were talking about hot for teacher before and YouTube has gotten really good at predicting what I like, um, yeah. for better and for worse. And the other day it said like uh, Steel Panther live with Nuno Benincourt, Hot for Teacher. And you're like, oh, cool. Let's see Nuno play Hot for Teacher on guitar. He's and amazing. Nuno gets behind the drums and plays the Hot for Teacher intro. Perfect. Wait, who did? Nuno Benincourt from Extreme. On drums? On drums. Oh, uh, no, I didn't know he played drums. I didn't know that either. And he totally killed it. And 
like no mistakes except for like a you know getting used to the beginning now for you did you learn how to play the van halen stuff on drums also or did you just hell no are you kidding i can't do that (laughs) (laughs) i can fake it but it'll sound bad um but no i mean even the the guitar intro i like going into the the main part i still don't know what he's doing exactly i just kind of approximate it but i love that that intro i just think it's really exhilarating and beautiful um there's so many like um uh unchained um hear about it later um i mean even like dare i say i don't know if it's allowed on this particular podcast but like um you say it what's that song what's that song um finish what you started yeah um, I love that guitar lick. Yeah, that's you know. an interesting tone that he has also. It's like the cleanest electric yeah, it was cool. ever. Yeah. I did play with Sammy once, but uh, you know, I never played with Dave. <laughs> In what context did you play with Sammy? You did a session or something? I was touring with Tom. I was playing bass in Tom Morello's band. And this was like probably 12 or 13 years ago. We're doing a West Coast tour for like a week or 10 days or something. That was a great band. It was a couple guys, a couple local guys with the rhythm section. I mean, with me and Tom was playing guitar. Brother Wayne Kramer from the MC5 on guitar. Steve Earle. Um, wow. and, and every, he's amazing, man. Like everywhere we would go, he's, he wouldn't stop talking, but it was in the best possible way. Cause like, he's got a story about everything. He's been everywhere, every city. Be like, oh yeah, man. He'd like tell you the, the history of you know this building we're passing on the right, and like, oh that corner over there. Like, I bought drugs there in the '80s, and you know, it's just like a fascinating dude who's like he knows about absolutely everything, and just a cool guy. Um, and it's fucking Steve Earle, like to play with him and yeah. Wayne. It's like crazy. But uh, every city would stop in. Tom would call some of his rock star buddies, and in San Francisco. Uh, Sammy came out with Joe Satriani and we did some, uh, we did, we did a Montrose tune. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That is something that intrigues me. You're, you're very modest considering the people that you're friends with and they're played with. And I'm the one who just keeps complimenting you on all that, but it's always been fine to me that Tom Morello's favorite bands seem to be Kiss van halen and stuff of that ilk but then the music he does is so serious but he seems like he's just always kidding if he's on if he's off stage but then the second he gets on stage he has to be way serious do i have that totally wrong i don't know i mean are you talking about the night watchman stuff his acoustic solo stuff not just that rage uh there's not a lot of humor in audio slave (laughs) yeah not his lyrics per se no i understand um, no, he's a blast. Tom is just like the coolest guy. Really funny, really fun. Just a great companion. Just a, a super cool dude to be on tour with or just to hang out with. Um, yeah, when I lived there, we became buddies for a couple of years. And he was definitely like a mentor, you know. Um, I mean, I worked for Audio Slave. Um, I was just a, an in-town band tech, basically. I would re- record their rehearsals and just, get them lunch or whatever. Like that was my day job, but that was fucking incredible to watch that band every single day for like five or six hours, you know, like 20 feet away from Chris Cornell, watching him sing and watching all them play. 
you know, you, you just learn stuff by osmosis. I don't even know how to articulate it. And after they broke up, um, I had a band with Timmy and Brad for like nine months or something like that, which is how I ended up meeting Maynard and gotten Pussifer because they were old friends with him. And he came down one day and sang and we made up a couple of songs. But anyway, so Tom is like, yeah, I mean, I love that. I'm, I'm a huge fan of all those bands. And I understand what you're saying, but like, I, I think people should be more serious. Like, I, or they should be like, whatever, whatever they are, like they should just do it full on. And I, I love people who not, not like without wit or humor or whatever, but just like when they're fucking doing it, they do it like Dylan or, you know, Jimi Hendrix or Rage, like, you know, whatever. It's like, you know, it's just not really uh, an, an obvious element or maybe even an element at all, you know, having like a light hardness, or whatever. It's super fucking intense and it'll blow your mind. <laughs> And you know, if Roth is to you, maybe the number one quintessential front man, is there anyone that comes close? And I know I'm putting you on the spot there. Like, is there, a I mean, there's so many great front men. Like I got, I love like Steven Tyler back in the day. Um, I mean, it depends on, you know, like, I love Dio. That's, that's a different thing though. But uh, I mean, Rob Halford, but as far as just like sheer uh, showmanship and, you know, I mean, the outfits with like the fuck, the, those fuzzy Uggs, you know, and the, the skin tight satin and, you know, like the, the late 70s outfits and fucking leg kicks and, you know, the 30 feet in the air uh, leg spread, like in the hair and the shit he would say, like, yeah, I mean, for that, who does that? Nobody does that. Well, the last thing I have to ask about that is how exactly did you know personally that the music is for me, but that's kind of where it ends with Van Halen and David Lee Roth. Like you weren't going to dress like that or try and do the karate kicks or be the funny guy on stage. You were just going to go, these are the great licks to play on different instruments. I love listening to it. And that's where the lifestyle ends. Oh, maybe I made a mistake. I should have, I should have pursued that. I don't know. It's just like anything, you know, certain things. Uh, well, for one thing, like growing up in that era, guys like that, they were just gods. Like there's just nothing. It's, you know, it's just, it's a different era now. Not only are our bands different, but attitudes are different um, towards all the bands and artists people are being seen as human, which is what they are, obviously, but I kind of didn't know that back then. <laughs> like, it was just a different, it's hard to even describe. I mean, you probably know what I'm talking about, but like, you know, MTV and Rolling Stone and Circus Magazine oh, and like, oh, like, oh, I hear that. Oh, okay. He grew up in uh, Pasadena, but still, you know, the, but I can't do that. You know, um, there, there's that element of it. You know, it's like, how do you get from, you know, some, dweeb in, in middle school to uh, the us festival that surely isn't humanly possible but i don't know i just never at the time i just didn't feel attracted to it i just loved the music and i don't know uh i mean i used to dress kind of freaky when i was like a teenager i was super into Jimi hendrix i mean i still am but like um Honestly, the honest answer is like, I think it, I, it got scared out of me. Like I, I was pretty flamboyant and I still have my moments 
Um, but like, uh, yeah, I want, that's a, I think it's a new year's goal. I want to dress freakier. <laughs> well, the last question, bring everything together. So we talked about this earlier, but the 25th anniversary version of hi, my name is Johnny on vinyl, the documentary, I believe you had, uh, let me look at my notes, kingdom of sleep, power and greed and money and sex and death. Anything else yeah. that we should know about? The massive. I just got this in the mail today. This will probably be backwards. Okay. Yeah, the vinyl for the brand new record. I just got it a couple hours ago. That's power and greed and money and sex and death. Um, I got Jane Weedland from the Go Go's on that, and also the guy from the Kung Fu Panda soundtracks who plays the Chinese instrument called the Erhu. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's that's it. I got two records from last year. Uh, that documentary just came out and it's still available on the internet, YouTube, Vimeo, and um, putting out uh, Hi, My Name is Johnny on vinyl for the first time in May. And, you know, hopefully all this madness will abate uh, sometime this year and get back to touring and doing fun shit instead of just protesting and holding your face in your hands every day <laughs> exactly well i can't thank you enough for not just your time but the many years of great music and looking forward to seeing what's coming next for you whatever that is thanks man i appreciate it darren thanks for having me on my pleasure keep me posted thanks johnny over and out